Well, thank you, band, and thank you for being here this morning. It is great to welcome you here. I'm Pastor Joey, and it's my privilege to talk to you out of the Bible each week. Uh, those of you who are online, we welcome you as well. We're so glad that you've tuned in again here today, and it is a joy to share with you a um, few moments here on Sunday morning. Um, no kidding, this week, Daniel from Jaeger Funeral Home called me. He said, Joey, he said, and I've been getting a lot of calls because a lot of people have been dying COVID-related deaths and they have no church family. And so I try to jump in there and help whenever I can, even though I may not know them personally. Um, but uh, usually there's a, there's a connection somewhere if you talk long enough with someone. But he called me and he said, Joey, he said, um, I've got a family here and they really don't have a church family, but they say that there's, a, there's some guy, uh, a pastor <laughs> with a beard that runs by their house every day and he runs marathons. Would that happen to be you, Daniel? I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> no, I was, I was so happy to jump in there and um, bless, you know, bless, endeavor to be a blessing to the family. Um, and sometimes you just never know what the Lord does and what doors he opens up. But rest in peace, um, Shirley Coe. I'm excited about talking to you today um, out of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And I have a very bold and audacious goal this morning. Um, as we look into the Bible, there are some things that we're going to have to address in this passage, namely submission and headship. If we can understand what submission means in this passage, and we, if we can understand what headship means in this passage, the passage is a piece of cake. There's no problem. Uh, now, culturally, uh, people look at the hot words, and they get all flustered about these words, and they give everybody a hard time, okay? But you don't need to be given a hard time over this passage. This is a very powerful, solid passage. But if you understand submission and headship, it makes it a whole lot easier. So we need to look at that. Um, there's two simple questions that we need to look at related to, to submission and headship. And so we'll, we'll be looking at those. Uh, then I want to share with you, Lord willing, a Brian Chapel story. Um, he does a great job of just illustrating the whole idea of headship and what's that, what that means. And then um, maybe some of you um, have had this remote thought in your life and seem like people have it at different times. But the question is, did I marry the wrong person? Because this passage is going to be on marriage. Did I marry the wrong person? So I'm going to address that question, uh, those who ask that question. And then uh, a final thing that I would like to accomplish with you and if you've ever launched uh, sons or daughters out of the nest, okay, and, uh, you know, you've, they've graduated from high school and they're heading now to college or they're out of college now and they're into going into the adulting world and you know that, you know, they're single and you know they're going to be meeting people, what in the world do you tell them to look for when they go out into the world and try to begin to sort that out, a potential date, a potential steady date, I don't even know what you call these things anymore, uh, a, a potential spouse, 
What do you tell them to look for? How do you prepare them for this huge decision, this destiny-shaping decision? And so that's where I have been. Uh, and so um, I've seen this in both high school to college, college to the adulting world. And so I just had to sit down and, and just pray about this and think about this and reflect on 27 plus years of ministry, what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've experienced, conversations, I've learned things, books I've read, sermons I've heard, podcasts, so on and so forth. You know, we just grow in our knowledge and understanding of these things because it's such a critical area. And so uh, what I find is that what I have shared with my boys, I'm going to share with you. I just bring it right out of the personal private world of my life and I give it to you. Okay, what I've shared with them in so many words. Now, whether or not they listen to me is another point, another sermon, but I'll share it with you. And, and I've shared with them and you can share, maybe you've got a son, you're gonna be launching here in a few years out of high school. Maybe you've got a daughter, she's gonna be graduating from college. She, she needs to, you know, she's gonna be looking and thinking about these things. This hits all of us. And if you're a parent, you have desires and hopes and dreams for your child. Your son, your daughter, you want them to make a good decision in this area, right? That's a goal. And so part of what we do here when we meet together is we, when we look in the Bible, we equip ourselves to make these practical life decisions. Now, uh, we'll just see how we do on time. If, there's, if by chance we're at a point in the message where we just need to, to draw it to a conclusion, then don't, don't be afraid. Um, what I don't get covered this week, I'm going to come back to next week. Uh, and we'll, we'll cover it, okay? So you don't have to be panicked. Um, but so these are the big goals that I have. These are the hopes I have this morning, and then we'll just see how the Lord guides us. Um, and so to begin, I really think we just need to read all of the verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. You guys say, Pastor, why did you wait till now? Why did you wait until after spiritual warfare talk in Ephesians 6, why are you doubling back now, circling back to Ephesians 5, 21, 22, and following? Why are you doing that? Well, have, if you've ever been married for very long, very many years at all, you know that there's some intense spiritual warfare, right? It happens, and it happens in the home. And so I've given you the ability to be ready and to, to know how to do battle and spiritual warfare, and now we're going to bring it home to the family. We want to lead our families well and love and affirm our leaders in our family. So um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Next slide. In the same way, husbands ought to love 
their wives. Didn't he just say that? Go back a slide. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. Now go to the next slide. Husbands ought to love their wives. He's going to even say it again in 33. Each one of you must love his wife. Are we clear? Is he clear enough? Okay. Why people have a problem with this passage is beyond me. When you fully understand it, it's not a hard passage. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He, verse 28, he um, who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, he quotes Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to start the message where Paul ends it. It's almost as if he reasons very tightly and, and carefully down through all these verses. And then he gets to the end and he finally tells you what he wants to tell you in a succinct statement. And so I'm going to, I'm going to begin the message where Paul ends it. And so today we'll kind of look at the end of what he says here in the passage. We'll kind of look at the beginning. And this is going to be our passage, like I said, for the next few weeks or so. And so don't panic if I don't get to every verse today. Um, we'll come back to it. But if I could somehow simplify this message and present it in just an easily understood um, format, I would just simply say that tucked away between the seams of all of these thoughts and verses, these phrases and concepts, are two questions that are on the table. And so with so much controversy, how can we just bypass all of it and get right to the heart of the issue? There's two questions. It's a submission question, a headship question. Question number one, the wife according to this passage, must set aside self-centeredness and come to terms with her calling and ask this question, do I love my husband enough to live for him? That's the question. Question number two, it's a headship question. Equally as important, the husband must set aside self-centeredness and come to terms with his role and ask, do I love my wife enough to die for her? You follow me? Two questions. Do I love my husband enough to live for him? That's the wife's question. Husband's questions. Do I love my wife enough to die for her? And so the wife is given the analogy of the Savior's life. The husband is given the analogy of his Do I love my husband enough to live for him? That's a good question for wives and mothers to ask of, their, of themselves. You know, I find that a wife's primary responsibility is to know herself so well, to respect herself so much, and to give of herself to her husband 
uh, doing these things without hesitation. Hopefully, the relationship um, atmosphere of the home is such that she can do this without hesitation. I mean, Paul said, love your wife three times. He underscores it. And if that's happening in the family, I think a wife is in a position to affirm, to live for her husband. And how wonderful every man in this room would say, how wonderful it would be to hear their wife say, you know, that man uh, loves me. I just live for him. I just live for that guy. When I come home, I hate, I love seeing him when I, when I leave for work. I hate leaving. I just, I just, I just live for that guy. Every husband's going to love those words. And you know, every wife is going to love if her husband can say of her, you know, I just love that woman. I would die for her. I would literally give my life for her. She affirms me. She affirms me in public. She loves me. And she just tends to my little needs and things. And she cares for me. And she builds me up. I think every husband would love to hear it said that way. And so in our passage today, that's what Paul is driving at. Um, he slowly builds this case. And then he says at the very end, however, each one of you... Um, also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So men love and express that love through leadership. Women respect and express, express this respect through support of his leadership. And so when we think about it, husbands, Paul is investing in you a sense of headship or responsibility. It's not an ego trip. Uh, it's not a license to come out of a chauvinistic cave and to dictate your way through a leadership of a home or a marriage or a family. It's not anywhere close to that. Husbands are to lead the charge by following Christ. It's a humble leadership. I'm going to pray for our family. I'm going to make sure we're at church, in church on Sunday mornings. Um, I'm going to insist on mutual respect in the home. I'm going to fight off intruders. I'm going to do spiritual warfare for my family. I'm going to step in front of the spiritual, the, the fiery arrows of the evil one that we've already talked about. I'm going to step in front of that. And I'm going to run interference for that, for my family, for my wife. I'm going to, I'm going to cast a vision for my family. I'm going to show love to my wife. And I'm going to use my resources and authority and influence that God has invested in me. And he's vested me with this, this authority. And I'm going to use this headship not as a, a reason to act with authority. Rather, God shows me how to act with kindness in the authority that he's given me. So Paul's not showing you how to be authoritative. He's showing you how to love and act in the authority already vested in you as one who has been made by God to lead and love a family. And so why is uh, Paul envision, he envisions a support of this leadership. He envisions an affirmation of any attempt, whether it's done perfectly or not. He affirms um, that a wife comes in alongside her husband 
and she doesn't surrender her voice. Of course, she's got a voice. Of course, she has influence. And, 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 but she comes in with the attitude of affirming the one who've, who's accepted the responsibility to protect and love the family and to cast vision for that family. And so she says, I'm going to build my leader up. I'm going to make a home a desirable place to be. I'm going to insist that all the children respect their father. I'm going to lift with him on the, on the heavy responsibilities of home life. And, and I'm going to embrace the vision. I'm going to show the highest respect to my husband. This is the home that Paul has in mind. And so when he says in verse 22, verse 21, of Ephesians 5, we go back a slide. Submit to one another, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, when he says that, so many times we hear the word submit and we automatically think inferiority or superiority are the defining ideas that are guiding a word or a phrase like that. And it's not, it's not about inferiority, someone being inferior or somebody else being superior. It's not about that. It is about functionality and role. And so the word submit means to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of another person. It means to kind of get in rank uh, in a way. It, it was used in military settings. So when you hear the term submission though, don't think inferiority, superiority. Think in terms of functionality. Somebody's got to be the quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback calling the play and you got wide receivers trying to call the play and tight ends trying to call the play and linemen trying to call the play, it's going to be a travesty what happens on the gridiron, right? It's just not going to work. Every entity, every group, every team needs a leader. Someone that with the authority to call the play and to get the team moving in a common, solid direction. And so this is not, submission is not about inferiority, one having more ability than the other. It's not about superiority, somebody, um, somebody being over somebody else. It's not what Paul has in mind. He's writing about functionality. Who is going to lead and love that family? Who's going to see to it that this family is led by somebody who's going to honor God? And that's what he's after. You know, Jesus was God. He was fully God, but he was in submission to the Father. Would you say Jesus was any less than the Father? Not in, in the least. Hey, but he was subjected and in submission to the Father in terms of he wanted to honor the Father's will. And so no one is less than another, but our functions and our roles are, are different. And according to Paul, and he bases it on creative order and other things, we'll get into it in upcoming Sundays. He invests, he recognizes that God has given um, husbands a leadership calling and he's equipped them to lead. And so he invests them with this authority. And the, what it looks like is that he loves his wife enough to engage spiritual warfare for her and to lead her in that family. And all of us husbands can, can just repent any time in this message because we've all struggled sometimes to lead and to be the leader God's calling us to be. Wives, verse 22, he says, submit yourselves to your own 
husbands. So it's not other husbands or men, and this is not a directive for society, but for the home, your personal home, your family. Honor your husband, he says. I'll give you reasons why he has to say this, but I just want to just streamline my thoughts here this morning. But there's, a con, there's an Ephesian reason why he says the, the things he does. You have to stay with me in the upcoming weeks here, uh, at least for another week or two. And we'll, we'll, I'll unpack this a little more for you. But um, basically he's saying, get on your husband's team, wives. Cheer him on. Yeah, he may make some mistakes. You're free to offer the input and things and and you're free to compliment and and you're in this huddle and you're part of the deal okay sometimes the quarterback hands the play off to a punter right sometimes we got a punt right but there's a quarterback calling the play you get in that huddle and you support the quarterback support the plays calling as you do to the lord now it doesn't say to submit when he acts like the lord does it it doesn't say honor him only when he acts like the Lord. No, it says as to the Lord. Always, it doesn't say always agree with your husband. It doesn't say adopt his viewpoints and values on everything. It doesn't even say obey him. And we often hear that in a marriage ceremony. It doesn't even say obey him. She is tasked with the challenge of honoring. And Paul says, That's your calling, ladies. Submission implies that there may be times that you may not agree with him. And you think he's making a wrong leadership decision. You know, I listened to a pastor uh, preach on this message this week on a podcast. And he said one of the things his wife does, he's leading, you know, he's loving the family and things. But one of the things that she does is that after he's when he's getting ready to make a big decision or something, she'll just, she'll just quietly say, can I say something? You know, I have learned in years uh, of marriage, if a wife ever says to a husband, can I say something? You stop right there and get both ears tuned in because it's, it, it's coming and you need to hear what she has to say. And so, of course, of course, there's times that we Maybe someone in authority in our life um, is over us, whether it's a parent over children or whether it's an employer over employee or whether there's the authoritative structure and arrangement of the home. Of course, we have input. Of course, we have uh, maybe disagreements to work through and hard conversations that we have to make. But there's a place for that quarterback to eventually step up and call the play. And when you do that in, in, in tandem with your spouse, it's important to support that leadership. That's what Paul's driving at. And so for that submission, so for the husband, verse 23, is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. You know, Tony Evans says that headship is God telling the woman to duck. For some reason... I see, you know, I'm at this 10 caps game and I see this line drive ripped. I mean, a fastball inside, the hitter just eats it up, rips a line drive um, down the third base dugout side and the wife sees it, she ducks and the husband doesn't see it, bam, hits him in the head. You see the seams of the baseball in the forehead. I just kind of picture it that way. And sometimes there are line drives 
It takes line drives for God to get our attention sometimes. And he teaches us to watch and listen to our wives carefully. And if she ducks, we better duck. That's just life teaches us that, right? I think that's what Evans is driving at. Headship is God telling the woman to duck. And uh, he holds us accountable for our leadership. What is headship? Well, it's, it, it's using authority for the sake and blessing of another person. And see, what I'm, what I'm proposing, what Paul proposes, what God is proposing in this passage in front of us today is that you men have an authority that you may not be aware of. Here's what I'm saying. Did you know if a child is the first believer in a family that 3% of the time the family will follow the lead of that child's decision to follow Christ? If the wife becomes a Jesus follower during a family's childbearing years, the family will follow her lead 17% of the time. You with me? If a little child follows Jesus, 3% of the time mom and dad will follow. If a wife follows Jesus, 17% of the time, husband and kids will follow. If a man, a husband, a father follows Jesus, the likelihood of the family following Jesus is 93%. You may not want this influence. You may not realize this authority that God has vested you with, but you've got it. You have it. It's your authority. And so the question is, what are you going to do with it? And I'm really proud of the husbands who are here and praise God you're leading. And the question is, how are you going to use the God-given headship of authority that he's given you? How Will you bless your family? How will you make your wife radiant? How will you make your wife a picture of Jesus? As Jesus makes the church radiant, will you make your family radiant? Will you make your wife radiant? That's the question. And so as now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to the husbands in everything, right? He says in everything, it's like, in other words, don't try to look for loopholes because maybe he was, maybe he was a jerk or, or maybe he hurt me or, or maybe I deserve this bad attitude. Paul says, no, no, bring this attitude to every area of life. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself. He didn't give of himself. He gave all of himself up for her. And when he becomes Christ to her, Paul's telling us, when, when the husband becomes Christ to her, then she becomes the church to him. And if he will love, truly love, she will offer adoration and glory to him, just like the church sings praises to the Lord. She'll sing her, her husband's praises because he loves her. So you've got headship and you've got submission. And they both work with each other. Headship is a divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for a Christ-like servant, leadership of protection and provision in the home. And submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. 
He serves by leading. She serves by affirming. Both serve together and the children feel safe. This is a biblical family. Now, one of the most devastating statements that a wife will ever speak about her husband goes something like this. I hate him for the way he made me think about myself. I could never please that man. I don't feel splendid or glorious or radiant. I feel hurt. That's actually like three sentences, isn't it? That's sobering. Those are sobering words. Very sobering. And if you've ever heard those words as a husband, they're difficult to hear. I want to tell you Brian Chappell's story. Early in his marriage, he went off and just pull his slide up. Thank you. Early in his marriage, he went off to work and they've only been married a year, year and a half. And he goes off to work and just before leaving that day, he says, hey, he says to his wife, Kathy, he says, hey, is the washer's broken? Could you call the repairman? She said, fine. And so he goes to work, he comes home and that evening the repairman had not been called. And so the next day, um, remember to call the repairman honey, okay, I'll call, I'll call. And he got home that evening, the second day. Did you call? No, she didn't call. And then suddenly the flood of tears. I can't do that. I'm not capable. I don't know how to call a repairman. And when Brian saw his wife, Kathy, in that frame of mind, it devastated him because especially especially because of what he knew about his wife. Kathy um, was intelligent. She was capable. Um, her grades in college were far better than Brian's grades in college, right? She was the outstanding musician of musicians in her university for two years running. She had incredible talent. She had incredible ability. And she was telling her young husband of a year, year and a half, that she could not call a repairman. And then it hit him. After only being married for a year and a half, what have I done to this wife that God has given me? That she would feel so little about herself that she couldn't make a simple recall to a washer repairman. A simple call. And maybe you've been there. So, so how come your wife is a perfectly good driver until you get in the car? Or why is your wife articulate in other conversations, but when, you're, when you join the conversation as her husband, suddenly she gets nervous and tentative. And she's not so sure of herself anymore. How can it be possible to think that if I diminish you in some way that I gain something myself? If, if one dominates his wife, suppressing her God-given abilities and spontaneity, he is obscuring the radiance of her person, one commentator writes. And that was Brian Chappell. 
You ever been there? Husband, the question is, is your headship having this kind of impact on your wife? And when you answer that question, you have to sometimes answer it humbly. Because when Brian Chapel faced this issue a year and a half in his marriage and he'd seen what his attitude, his daily disposition, what his headship has done to his, his wife, it devastated him. And he got to a place where he could finally acknowledge what he was and who he was. He dug into some of his family history, how that had played into it, these attitudes he was conveying this disgust he was communicating, this just obliterating her worth and her value. And he finally saw it and he turned the corner. So fast forward several years and the washing machine is on the blink again. And uh, of course, he's been very dedicated to helping her to feel radiant and capable for whatever life brings. And so... But the washing machine is on the blink again, and she didn't just call the repairman this time. She takes the part out of the washer. She got the number off of the part. She called the, the store. She ordered the part. She went to the store and picked up the part. She came home with the part, installed it in the washer herself on her own. This is what, this is what can happen. When a husband recognizes his headship and what that headship is designed to do and to be in the life of a wife. He saw it. He recognized it. And he had a decision to make. Am I going to add or am I going to diminish from my spouse? Am I going to glorify or am I going to subtract when we understand biblical headship, this is what Paul has in mind. Do you love your wife enough to die for her? And do you love your husband enough to live for him? You know, here are some of the most devastating words a husband will ever speak about a wife. I hate her for the way she disrespects me in front of all the people that matter the most to me, I feel so betrayed. Those are painful words. Hard for a wife to hear that, isn't it? You know, I had a conversation recently with someone and they shared with me how that this man's spouse, this man's wife has kind of treated him unfairly over the years. This, this was a good guy. Uh, he wasn't like a bad dude in private and, you know, um, a good dude in public. He was a good guy. He's a solid guy. And, uh, but his wife came across as disrespectful and obnoxious. And, uh, and this guy was talking to me about this family situation and, uh, and he made the statement, you know, I think she has held him back in life because of the disrespect that he, she's shown. And, um, you know, what did he mean by that? Well, maybe a disrespect for anyone is a problem, but especially for a husband, uh, 
you know, maybe she would mother and treat him, treat her husband like a, a two-year-old. You know, how many kids do you have? Well, I've got three, four, if you count my husband, right? We've all heard that. If he was meek and silent, he was a passive coward. If he was engaged and passionate, he was an angry bully. He could never win. And so it just kind of undermined him before her family and their family, kind of overruling decisions and pulling and working against those. And why even bother to acknowledge him when he got home from work? It wasn't that she, what she said all the time, it was how she said it. And I don't know if you've ever heard a wife talk condescendingly about a husband in public, but I think everybody in here cringes when that happens. You know, one lady writing about this says it this way, do you provoke your husband? Do you push his buttons for the sake of attention or test his response? Do you nag at him when he walks in the door for not helping enough maybe or do you taunt your husband? Make a remark maybe to anger or to wound or provoke? We would probably never openly admit that we taunt our husband, she says. But think back to the comments made the past few days. Were they meant for building up or for tearing down? So the question we got, the question you have. Husbands, how are you going to use your headship? Wives, how are you going to use the, the affirming role that God has called you to? In, and it's re referenced as submission or encouragement or affir affirmation of his leadership. That's the questions we got. And what we have to realize this morning is that it's not, this is not necessarily tied to abilities. It's not tied to educational levels it's not tied to a lot of the other things maybe we think it's tied to it's more not about inferiority it's not about superiority it is about function it's about the way the home's going to work best and homes work best paul says if husbands will assume responsibility to lead and if wives will assume responsibility of affirmation that it's then that the home can be set up to work the way it should. Now, the question that comes up when we encounter marriage problems and struggles, did I marry the right person? And some of you feel like maybe, maybe you felt before, well, maybe I married the wrong person. Of course, the answer to that is, of course you did, because we always marry the wrong person. How's that? Because we marry sinners, right? The wrong person is the right person because God has purposes for your life, a higher agenda for your life, other than just giving you a flawless roommate to live your life with. That God calls us to love people. He calls us to love people who are not perfect, who are sinners, and that in this process of loving them and caring for them, that he makes us more like himself. And we read these qualifying phrases out of reverence for Christ or as you do to the Lord. And so there is something about every marriage partner that was so bad that Jesus had to die to fix it. And, and it's so, if it's so bad that Jesus had to die to fix it, then it's 
inevitably going to create some, at least some minor irritations for you and for me. And so Jesus, if he had to die to fix it and to fix us, we're going to, ha- we're going to face that. And we're going to understand that maybe God's purposes isn't just about making us happy. It's about making us holy, as Paul says here in Ephesians 5. So you got a bridge, right? You got a bridge and you've got these hairline fractures in this bridge. And um, you don't realize they're there, but when you get a five-ton Mack truck that drives over the bridge, I don't know how much trucks weigh. Maybe it's 10 ton my truck that drives over the bridge. You don't know about the hairline fractures in the bridge until the big my truck gets on the bridge and engineers and things that are trained in seeing these things can recognize, uh uh-oh, the, all the weight on the bridge reveals the hairline fractures on the bridge. It shows the problems and the flaws. And I think what happens in marriage is that you have a five-ton truck that just comes right through your heart and it comes right into your life. And what it does, it reveals things that otherwise are there, but maybe you haven't taken time to look at them or to recognize them. And so when you have this five-ton truck driving through your life, it begins to reveal things. And it's like maybe your parents tried to share things with you and and maybe um, your roommates in college tried to share things with you and talk about maybe selfishness or fear or pride or bitterness or worry. And yet you, it, the, the message never really got through because you're not in a covenant relationship with them. But when you get married, it's not easy to walk out of that relationship. And so now you're kind of in a situation where you have to face the stuff in your life, and someone very close to you is in a position to show you things about yourself. And so the, the, the real mistake people make almost always is you feel like the conflict marriage has brought you into is a conflict with your spouse. And in reality, it's a conflict not with your spouse, but with yourself. It forces us to look in the mirror. Marriage gets us by the scruff of the neck and makes us look in the mirror and makes us face who we really are. I've got all kinds of books on my shelf and digital books on my computer and have went to school a lot of years, but there's nothing that has shown me who I am better than the idea and the and the relationship of marriage that God has brought into my life and so when we see that and I start seeing who I am and you see who you are and we see these hairline cracks now we can't avoid them because the weight of marriage is barreling down five tons, 10 tons of marriage, a relationship bearing down on our life. And we begin to uh, quake and tremble a little underneath that. And we realize, Lord, only you can help me. And we realize with Brian Chapel that we have been vested with this prerogative of headship 
And maybe how we've used that authority has not been healthy and good, and you just cry out to the Lord, I don't want to be a Brian Chapel. I want to use this vested headship in my life in a way that causes uh, my wife to be radiant, to be glorious, to be splendorous, and so many times rather than do it that way. I have, I have just like Brian, I have tarnished the glory. I have not reflected the glory. I have been inconsiderate of this headship responsibility and it has revealed some hairline cracks and you begin to quake under that. And so what Paul invites us to do as men and women, he invites us to look at ourselves and to begin to think about, okay, how do you want me to live out this headship? And the wife to begin to think about how can I affirm my husband's leadership in such a way that, that the, the hairline fractures in our relationship are addressed and that when the weight of life comes barreling 10 tons weight comes barreling into our life we have the structural integrity in place to face it and to deal with it you know um, as I think about this um, I think about just how can we as parents prepare kids a family to face uh, to understand about people, to, to uh, be able to make good decisions related, you know, uh, to husbands and wives. And this is something we all care about as, a, as parents. We want our kids to make good choices. And so when you, some of you quarterbacks who are calling the plays in your family, and when you gather up with your families and, and you talk to your sons and your daughters and they're getting ready to transition, what do you say to them? And, and what do you share that can get them ready? Because life can bring so many different things and situations. And so, and people come from so many different backgrounds. And so this was the kind of the, what I have been faced with and what we have been faced with as parents with a couple of sons who are single. And then of course, Megan, who is married. And um, so, but as I think about this and I think about, Lord, what is it that I need to share with these boys of mine? What do I need to communicate? And as I shared and thought about these things, and I think about this passage, and I think many of the things I have to communicate comes right out of Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. First of all, boys, parents, you want your kids to look for someone who's alive spiritually, right? You want them to be alive spiritually, a person who enjoys their walk with God, a person who loves to engage in spiritual discussions with interest, a person who loves the Lord, right? That's what you want. That's your hope. That's your dream. Paul says a reverence for Christ or as you do to the Lord so there's a spiritual aliveness 
there's, a, there's an intrigue with Jesus. They're, 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 they're smitten by the life of Jesus and they want to live a life that honors him and lifts him up. And so I think every parent here would hope that their son or daughter would be able to, to be with someone who would be alive spiritually. I think secondly, I think you would, your hopes and dreams would be that, that you would have, um, be able to be with someone who, where there's been parental input in their life, right? Paul says in the passage of Ephesians 5 to leave father and mother. And so the implication is that there's a father and mother to leave. The implication is that hopefully they've, they've been invested in by loving parents. And if not by loving parents, loving caregivers uh, who are with them, who have invested in them, who have cared for them. You know, I've been doing a lot of reading and preparing for this section of, of Ephesians. And one of the things that's coming out more and more, and I'll talk about in upcoming days, is the powerful influence a father has in a daughter's life. And when a daughter doesn't have that powerful influence and connection, what it does to her and how she feels unprotected and not safe and how it leaves her vulnerable in so many other areas of life. And so I think the hope is that that someone would, would have been invested in by parents or caregivers, someone that has invested and inputted into their life. I think when you think about it, given our, our culture today and given the uh, nature of our culture and the role that uh, our sexuality plays today and how people look at that particular gift from God, how they use this gift from God. Paul talks about one fleshness, one becoming one flesh. And so I would, I would hope that you would want to um, partner with someone who views their sexuality as a gift from God, a gift that uh, is from him and that's to be used within a context of, of marriage and family. I think that when you, your hopes and your dreams are for your sons and daughters is, is the personal identity that, that a person would have a firm identity in Christ. Paul says he writes about a radiant church. And so someone who finds their identity in Christ, someone who has their value is in him. It's not just in money. It's not just in clothing. It's not just in some political cause, but someone who, who, loves the Lord, someone who has an identity in him, a part of his radiant church. You know, uh, I would hope, and I think every parent in here would want their child to be some, with someone who has a spiritual life, someone who has been invested in by their parents, someone who understands the gift of their sexuality and what, how God intends for that to be used, someone who has a personal identity in Christ and Christ alone, also someone with a biblical worldview, someone who, who Christ is the head and everything's moving his direction and all of life is about honoring him someone with vocational clarity, someone with a sense of, of direction and vocation, able to adult. What does Paul say? To leave father and mother, to leave them, to be able to adult and function outside of that parameter. 
I would thank and hope that all of our kids could marry someone someday who knows how to resolve conflict. What does Paul say here? Wives affirming their husbands, husbands loving their wives, resolving conflict, the ability to, not just that they don't argue, no, the ability that they do argue and they do disagree, but they work through those in a way that mutually builds up the other person. I hope Will and Levi can marry somebody someday who knows how to resolve conflict. I hope that they can be with someone with vocational clarity and biblical worldview and personal identity and that's been invested in by parents who have loved them or caregivers who have loved them, who are alive spiritually, who understands the role of the gift of their sexuality. This is my hope. These are my dreams. These are your dreams. Someone with a forgiving heart. Christ gave himself up for her. So someone who is committed to forgiving as a lifestyle, who, who refuses to allow previous relational hurts to sabotage marriage or ongoing relationships. I would hope that that would be their experience, that this would be the experience of your kids. Someone, grateful, someone who expresses gratitude for the little things that people do for them as a life outlook, someone who is grateful, not someone who's entitled, not someone who thinks the world owes them. Paul says to feed and care for the body, uh, to serve others as an outlook on life. Someone who wants to grow in their understanding of marriage, to love a wife, respect a husband. How do you go about doing that? Someone with a family priority, they, they, yes, they leave mother and father. Why? So they can create their new family. Someone that adds value to others, that challenges them to be their very best self, to make her holy is how Paul says it. Someone with moral high ground, Paul says without stain or wrinkle, not that they're perfect, but that they, are, they, are in, they want to take the moral high ground in life and, and, and take the high road, not the low road in their values. Someone who is preferably addiction-free, are we, are, we all struggle with our addictions, but someone who is endeavoring to be, what does Paul say? Holy and blameless, set apart. So someone that's not bogged down with these maybe alcohol problems or drug problems or, or issues, debilitating issues or instabilities of life or pornography addictions, you know, we all have our struggles. But the hope as you as a parent and as a grandparent, I know this is what you hope to. I know it is. And see, I'm calling on you quarterbacks. I'm calling on you. I'm proposing to you Stones Hill quarterbacks to call that play in the huddle. And call that play before they launch. Before the, the play is run and you show up for game time. That you call the play 
And the play that you call is that, hey, spiritual life is important, guys. And, 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 and being invested in by a caregiver is important. And it's not that there may be challenges to all of these things. But, but that there's grace and there's strength and there's commitment to face the, the challenges that we face in these areas of our life. Whether it's our sexual history or personal identity or our worldview or vocations or our conflict or our forgiveness or or an attitude of of gratitude or or uh, family priority or adding value or our morality or or the addictions that we face in our life of course there's there's challenges and all the way around top to bottom but i think what paul would have each of us to do is that each of the quarterbacks huddle up with the fan, the team. And we begin to cast a vision. Guys, gals, it's a big world out there. There's a lot of different belief systems in the world. What are you, what are you seeing as important? And what can be, what plays can be called in your life that will help position you to make good choices. And I know if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And these are some of your dreams. And so basically, and young people, you know, as you listen to this, know that the hope and dream of parents is that, that someday someday you would be able to be with someone who is, who is a person who loves the Lord. They come from, you know, it would be great if they came from parents or caregivers that invested in them. That would be awesome. Not always possible. Not always didn't happen. You can't do a lot about that, but we can overcome those challenges, but that would be great. Spiritually alive, growing and engaged in spiritual pursuits. That would be great. Someone that was, would be great if they were a great student. They applied themselves from an early age. Someone that's eager to learn. Someone that's resourceful. Someone that's creative in getting things done. Someone who makes great choices with their sexuality. Someone who's, who the light of their life, their, their life is, is the Lord and he shines bright through them. Someone who loves for all the right reasons. Someone with a passion and purpose in life. Something more with a passion and purpose in life other than just you. Someone that's truthful and authentic. Someone that your parents could be able to say of them, son or daughter, this is a rare find. You better lock it down. This is our hope. This is our hope. And through the gospel and through what Paul prescribes here, I think he gives us insights into the hopes and dreams of becoming the kind of person that God wants us to be. And it all begins, it all begins right here in Ephesians 5. So where are you at this morning? We bring it back to where we began. Headship. What kind of plays are you calling in your family huddle quarterback? What kind of plays are you calling? 
How are we moving our, what directions are we moving our family? What things have we identified as our hopes and dreams? And, and, and what does Ephesians 5 have to say about that? So quarterback, what plays are you calling? And what's your headship look like? And what does it look like with your spouse? And what does it look like in your family? And then wives, what does the submission call look like, the affirmation call look like in your life? What does it look like in the life of your husband? Does he approach and face the world with confidence? Or is there a lack of confidence in that relationship? This is what Paul lays out for us today. And I have to tell you, friends, I have had to flesh this stuff out in so many different ways, so many times in my life. And you are looking at a very, very flawed individual. You're looking at somebody who doesn't get it right hardly ever the first time around. It takes me a lot of tries. But by his grace, we can be the husband's he's called us to be we can be the spouse the wives he's called us to be and we can lean into this uh, these hopes and dreams that I believe he's calling us to as we think about building a home a family addressing the hairline cracks making this thing structurally sound so that it can stand and withstand the test of time again it is all about function, not superiority or inferiority. You know, I have a little Prius. Well, I call it my wife's Prius, all right? A little Prius C. There's a little, the C stands for city, so it's even smaller than the normal size Priuses. This thing is little, okay? And you, you've never had a hair-raising experience like driving a Prius C in the city of Indianapolis with three or four lanes of traffic and 18 wheelers all on both sides, in front, in the back. That is an experience, right? And, uh, you know, you look out of this thing and all you see are tires, right? That's all you see. I look out, it's like, oh, that's a tire. There's 18 of them, right? Man, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of the city of Indianapolis, I just don't know. And it's hair raising and it's an adventure and it's life on the wild side. And, uh, but when I'm going down, I'm going down I-69 just to, you know, yeah, yeah, it gets 50 miles to the gallon, right? But you feel like you're gonna get mashed in the process. And I'm going down 69 or maybe I'm in I-70 at three or four lanes across. And I'm just right there holding my own in my right-hand lane. And then there's a big tractor trailer, 18-wheeler. He's bigger than I am. He can haul more car cargo than I got. Um, he's he's uh, more powerful than I am. <clears throat> but when he's coming on that entrance ramp to that highway, and I'm in my little Prius driving down the right-hand lane, holding my own, both hands white-knuckled on the steering wheel of this thing, all right, <laughs> hoping I survive. And I'm going down through there and this 18 wheeler comes up on that ramp. He's gonna try to merge into the interstate traffic, but he's got a yield sign, right? He's got a yield sign. 
And, uh, and even though he's bigger than me, even though he can haul more cargo than me, even though he has a greater um, uh, capacity than I've got, he's got the yield sign. And now I try to get over, all right? I do try to get over. Um, but the fact is that he has the yield sign and he's got to yield to a little old Prius C driven by one scared dude. What Paul is doing in Ephesians 5, he's giving you wives a yield sign. And he's giving you husbands a headship mandate, mandate to hold your lane. See, this is not about I'm going to say it again. I've said it three or four times. This is not about inferiority or superiority. You might be smarter. You might be better educated. You might have better ideas. But Paul gives you the yield sign because he knows it's how men work best and he knows how the home work best. And so what he's asking in this passage Husbands, hold your lane, honor your Lord, love your wife. Wife, yield, affirm his leadership, set him free to grow, to lead, and to love, and to serve. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word from you. And we thank you for the beauty of this word and Father, we just come at this because we're humbled because we see our deficiency so much in a passage like this. And uh, we just feel so badly because how many times have we husbands, um, how many times we've, we've played the Brian Chapel card and, um, and that we have diminished our wife rather than enhanced her life. And so we come with honesty and openness and we come with confession and we own that and we pray God that you would guide us in um, just turning that around and helping us to honor and cherish her and, and uh, invest in her life. And so we just pray for this. And then I just pray for every wife who I know wants so much to be led by a husband who loves her and cares for her and um, that uh, relishes time with her. And, and I just pray that you would give her strength, give guidance to our wives, that you would give them insight and wisdom in such a way that um, the beauty of Jesus can shine through her. As to the Lord, out of reverence for Christ, we see that a couple of times. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be with them and that uh, each husband would be able to face the world they live in with the assurance and confidence of a wife who loves them and prays for them. And then I pray, Father, for um, our children we know that 
there's a, it's a crazy world and our hopes and dreams when it comes to the right time that um, you would help each son, each daughter to be able to meet a person who would bring them closer to you. And while it's a crazy world and there's lots of decisions we make in our waywardness, in our spiritual wanderings, and your grace and your forgiveness is awesome and it's real and it covers and we praise God for that. And I just ask and pray that you would give wisdom to us in all of that. That we would be able to not just weigh things out, but we would just have your input and your guidance and your discernment. Because we would hope that every, every young lady would have a husband that loved her. And every young son would have a wife that affirmed his leadership. And we just hope for that for our our church family and for the kids. And I pray for the parents. Father, we understand we're not perfect. We, we bring a lot of things to the table, some not so good. And some of those structural hairline cracks show up in our parenting sometimes. And Father, would you be with us and forgive us? We've done the best we could at times. Other times, maybe more neglectful and ignored issues. But we just pray this morning that you'd help us to face head on this stuff and invest in and, and have input in and, and have the wisdom and the courage and the strength to call the huddle, to call the play in the huddle and to lead on that and to trust you to guide us as we endeavor to lead and love our families. And so I just affirm the men and hus husbands here today. I affirm the women and the wives here today. And I pray you would give us continual guidance as we take on some of these hard-hitting issues. That we will lift you up and we'll honor you. And you'll honor the families that you've gathered here today. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. You have been a great group. Will you stand with me? And so God is good. We love him. We're going to walk with him and grow in him. I dismiss you now in his grace and peace. Hold your head high. Let his power and enablement flow through you to do his word today. Amen and amen. You're dismissed.